This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. It's a beautiful day. It's a Thursday, and it's a great day to be a Duck fan. We're going to talk about why. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins here with me. How about this, my man? The Ducks do it again. Four-star kid. Has the measurables, six foot six and a catch radius across the galaxy. I can't pronounce his name right, so I'm, I'm not even going to try to step on that landmine. But you just got a four star, six foot six tight end. Where does he fit in the recruiting picture for the Ducks? Well, you know, each year you're going to, if you're Mario Cristobal uh, and his staff, you're going to get started and kind of address needs and you know, one of the things that you're always doing, you know, you've roster management is so big. It's, it's so big. And that's really more of a two year thing than a one year thing. Uh, you know, is Oregon in desperate need of a tight end to be on the roster right now? Probably not. You got Spencer Webb, you got Cam McCormick, assuming he's healthy and able to play, uh, you know, coming back. So you've got some guys there. Patrick Herbert, of course, once again, that, that uh, redshirted this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you've got some need because McCormick's going to leave. You can't just have uh, Webb and Herbert. Oregon really has kind of struggled recruiting tight ends a little bit. And one of the clear needs this year was getting at least, in my opinion, two tight ends in this class to come in and, and build around and kind of be your future guys because it's not very often that your tight ends leave uh, super early. Uh, they don't tend to get drafted, uh, you know, I- I- incredibly high. There are some, you know, gifted few that do, but overall you, you tend to get them for four or five years. So getting Maliki Mataval, it was a number four tight end in the nation. One of the elite guys out West. And let's face it, there's not a lot of great re- uh, tight end options typically out West there, and there might even be a little bit more th- this year than usual with Maliki, uh, Terrence Ferguson out of Colorado, Brock Bowers uh, out of Northern California. But even then most years you're, you're not liable to see more than two. So for Oregon to lock up Maliki Montevau early and then have the opportunity to maybe lock in Brock Bowers or Terrence Ferguson, it's a twofold thing that we've talked about before. Not only is Oregon getting good players, you're taking the best players from off your coast and forcing these other 11 schools in your, in your conference to go outside the footprint and try and find guys. So it's really, it's a twofold win for Oregon. Maliki Mataval, the latest guy to commit to Oregon. Just, I love what I see there. I, I think he's going to be a great one for the ducks. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned the regional flair there. He's a Nevada kid. A couple Cali kids have committed to the Ducks. A lot of Cali kids in the last few years. Cali Flock. And uh, and then I noticed Lebanon's own Keith Brown in as well on that class. Do you think that the West as a region has been a priority for Coach Crystal Ball, or do you think that's just been where the talent was? 
No, always, always. You're, you're going to have to, you know, the thing is Oregon can recruit nationally. They can recruit as nationally as they want. But the key there is when you start getting farther away from your footprint, your chances of a decommitment or maybe a, a, a prospect getting cold feet or mom getting cold feet, if you will, in that 11th hour, right. you know, those odds increase. And so for, you know, for Oregon, you just, you, you absolutely cannot abandon your bread and butter and your bread and butter is California. It's Oregon, it's Washington, it's becoming Arizona. As we've seen Oregon really start to, you know, pitch away at Arizona. Um, Hawaii has always been good to Oregon. You have to absolutely mine those States out West because again, not, uh, you know, that's where you're going to go back to year after year. You're going to be able to get, you know, talent out of those States year after year. But secondly, when you go and you take those top tier guys out now, Washington's forced to look elsewhere. Now, ASU is forced to look elsewhere. Now, Cal, UCLA, USC, they're all forced to look elsewhere because you've taken the top talent or they have to go a step down. So, again, you're always going to stay ahead of them. So, for Mario Cristobal, I don't think it's it's lost on him the importance of recruiting out West, um, being really uh, just number one for Oregon. You've got to do it. You've got to get those top guys. You've got to keep that pipeline going. Um, I think one, I, I think when you look back at some coaches, and I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll pinpoint Al Golden when he went to Miami, people were just stymied at the fact that he'd continue to offer these kids basically everywhere out of the Miami footprint. Just he'd go right up north of the state and head on out and start handing out offers. Well, if you're a school like Miami or Florida or Florida State, you should be able to get probably two thirds of your class any given year from about three states, Florida, Georgia, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a Tennessee, maybe the Carolinas. You can live in those three states and get all your talent each year. But mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of guys make mistakes by going too far too fast and it ends up biting them at some point. Um, seems as though Mario Cristobal's intent on keeping the best talent out West uh, and, and bringing them to Eugene. Yeah. I also notice when you look at the list of 2021 commits so far, it's pretty balanced. You got a quarterback, you got a running back, you got a bunch of O-linemen. Now you add that weapon at the tight end position, Maliki Matavau. And I, I feel like I, I said this on my show last night. I think some teams build outside in, some teams build inside out. I feel like these ducks are built inside out. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I saw a tweet uh, from you about, you know, hey, building from the inside out, building the lines and, the, and then going back. And, and I agree with you. I think, you know, Mario Cristobal, as we know, he's an offensive line guy. He's going to always recruit that position heavily. Um, but he puts a lot of, you know, a lot of stake in the, in the uh, defense on the defensive line as well. And let's face it. He comes from, you know, big time Miami football for big time Alabama football. He knows what it takes to win at the highest level. You can have the absolute most talent in the world. I mean, how often does a team like Texas Tech or Oklahoma win a national championship in this day and age. Sure, Oklahoma's up there, you know, a, a pretty elite team, great offense. I love watching them play, no doubt. But when it comes down to it, it's the uh, Alabamas and the Clemson and the Georgias with the Hogs on the line that really grind out a game and win, and that's football. Even in the NFL, even as it's become a, a passing league, you still have to have the threat of running the ball well. You still have to have the ability to stop the run on defense. Those are just... I mean, that's just the, 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 the building blocks of football. And I, and I don't think that's going to change. There's no way that's going to change in football. So, 
you know, I agree with you that this is a, a little bit of a different class. This is going to be a little bit more offensively heavy because Oregon's got more holes to fill on offense. And, and, and by that, I mean, they've turned out quite a few guys on the offensive line into the NFL. They're going to lose another one this year in Penny Sewell more than likely. Mm-hmm. You've got some holes to fill there on the offensive line. And that's a big group. That's, a, that's going to be a big class, four or five, potentially six guys. Um, you know, you had to get a quarterback. You needed at least two, maybe three tight ends. As I mentioned earlier, you need a minimum of three wide receivers in this class could potentially take four. That's a lot of numbers. If you're looking at basically taking 20 guys in this class, which we don't know that that's the exact number, but it's probably close. You know, I'm already, I, I, I didn't keep track, but that sounds like, you know, 12, 13, 14 guys just on offense alone. Um, and not to mention you've got a running back committing seven McGee. So it doesn't leave a lot on defense, but let's face it, you don't need a lot. You need some defensive backs. You need to get them in there, let them learn from a year behind Mikel Wright, DJ James, some of these other guys, uh, you know, give them a year, but you do have some bodies going out there. Defensive line, you're just always going to recruit that position. You're always going to take some bodies because you can't have too many there. Uh, but at linebacker, you just don't need much. I mean, with the with the way Oregon recruited linebacker last year, you got Keith Brown committed now. Maybe take one more linebacker, call it a day. And uh, so, again, those numbers on defense will be low. But that's, again, going back to what I said originally, this is just roster management stuff. It's nothing else. It's not like, hey, you know, this position coach isn't pulling his weight. He's not going to get us three or four linebackers this year. Truth is, he doesn't need to. He can't. He can probably get one, maybe two. And, and he's got to be done to, to manage his numbers. Uh, again, defensive line for Joe Salavea. You've got a pretty good group now. A lot of young guys. You're going to need to get a couple guys in this class, but you don't need to go off for 100 kids because you're really only needing three or four guys in this class. And I'm talking about defensive end, defensive tackle, uh, and even that hybrid spot. That's not many many guys that you're taking for three or four different positions there. So, again, heavy emphasis on, on offense this year. And that's just a byproduct of, of roster management. Yeah, I feel like that's the world we live in, right? Football in 2020. Hey, you got me thinking awfully hard about linebackers. And and maybe this is why Troy Dye got drafted as late as he did. Um, we've seen a, a change in emphasis of that position in the NFL. You just don't value guys the way you used to because there's so much spread offense. And, and the response from defense has been more dime personnel where you have fewer or, or no, potentially, linebackers on the field. Um, so I want to know from you, because I, I, I think Oregon plays a lot of schools that have a spread offense as their base and uh, plays a lot of high-octane passing attacks. How has the linebacker position changed from a recruiting standpoint from the time that you started to now? You know, I don't know that it's changed all that much. I think what's cha- what has changed more, in my opinion, um, I definitely do agree with you. Uh, when you play in the Pac-12, your linebackers have to be able to cover. I mean, it's, it's just an absolute must. And let's face it, the Pac-12 has been a pretty offensive, offensively heavy conference, at least for the last decade plus. And, uh, you know, even USC – in those days, you had to defend. And so I think that's always going to be something that's required, being able to you know, move laterally, being able to, to cover in space, being able to do those things. But you, you still got to come up, and you still got to tackle. You still got to hit guys. You know, that's just a fundamental there. I think more than anything, the way that it changes is how the 
how the defenses themselves change, which we've seen from, you know, Andy Avalos to Don Pelham to, you know, uh, as an RL, I mean, you, you name it, Nick Aliotti. I mean, the defense itself has changed. Whether you have three guys out there, you have four guys out there, um, whether you've got the hybrid position or not, you've got to obviously know that you need to recruit that type of personnel. They're all different body types. And that's something that I think we've seen change more at Oregon is just the addition of that hybrid position. And you see guys like Trevin Maé come in um, and, and really kind of be maybe that next guy behind. You know, it was, it was uh, uh, Bryson Young last year that spent a lot of time there kind of being that rover hybrid guy. You've got to recruit around that position. I think I think a guy like Troy Dye is a bit of an exception. He was an undersized middle linebacker. But again, he was there and, and a big part of the defense because he's able to cover – help in the run and make those tackles up in the trenches, but also able to cover a lot of ground in that middle area um, and, and really deflect those crossing routes and keep that middle clean. So um, I, again, don't know that the, that the particular linebacker itself has changed, you know, the way you recruit that just the matter of, of how Oregon has changed because of what style of defense they're running. Uh, and right now with Andy Avalos, we know, I mean, you, you look at Sewell and you look at Flo and to me, and, and, and even Jackson Leduc, for that matter, who's a, a 225, 235 kind of guy, it's pretty clear Oregon wanted some beef there at linebacker. I mean, you know, Sewell comes in at 250 plus, Flo is 230 pounds plus of, of animal. And so, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that Oregon's signaling they want some guys to come in um, and have the ability to thump. So, um, again, <clears throat> you don't need much out of this class for Oregon because you have – I think linebacker is probably Oregon's most talented position on the roster. It's pretty dis- it's pretty disgusting almost how much talent Ken Wilson has there, and he's got to figure out how to get them all on the field. So I don't envy him, but uh, I also do envy him, so it's a catch-22. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, disgusting is a good word to describe it. You have uh, uh, two five-stars, and you have all those tweeners, all those awesome guys that you mentioned, some of which I remember Mario drooling about when we talked about uh, the previous recruiting class and, and some of the ability there. Um, now you got me thinking about those two five-stars coming in, Noah and Justin Flo. Who do you think has a better first year? Ooh, tough question. Oh, I I don't know. I mean, I... I, I I, it, I feel like this is a cop-out answer, and uh, I just think they're both going to contribute. I think they're both going to play. Um, they're different styles of player, but, I mean, you, you brought those two young men in for a reason, and I understand it's, it's going to be hard to prioritize those two true freshmen in above some of the other guys you have, but let's face it, they're a different breed. I mean, they're they're a different kind of guy than, than we've see, seen Oregon recruit in the past, so I, I guess I can't, I can't pick one per se. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna assume that both stay healthy all year. I think they're both gonna contribute. I think they're both gonna play quite a bit this year. Yeah, yeah. I um, I just can't help but think of those Kayvon Thibodeau highlights from last year and think maybe you got two more impact guys like that in the linebacking core. Yeah, yeah. You certainly have that kind of potential. I mean, the only thing is they they walk into a somewhat deep position where Kayvon kind of walked in and, and had an opportunity to play right away. Those guys are going to play right away. I just think that we're talking in two years when some of the other bodies have, have graduated out. We're just, t- we're talking about a whole different animal. And, and again, most years, a guy like Jackson LaDuke 
Oregon fans are frothing at the mouth at a guy. He's a really good, really, really good linebacker that people are overlooking. And I understand, you know, simply based on the fact that Oregon also signed two line, two five-star linebackers with him. Jackson LaDuke is very much a guy that's going to be a big-time player for Oregon. All right. So let's shift gears. Um Recruiting is on the mind, and uh, I know there's a lot of excitement about maybe getting college football season, but a couple other notes on recruiting. How do you feel like like the last two classes have been dynamite, and I, I know there's a lot of talk from some about maybe the Ducks aren't doing enough rankings-wise or doing enough numbers-wise right now, bringing enough commits in. How do you feel about the health of this class? Uh, it's per—I mean, it's perfect. It's you know, there's something I wrote about in uh, in the juice earlier today, and I'm not sure if you saw it, but I mean, right now, during this pandemic, there's a lot of schools that seem to be pushing for these early commitments, and I get it. You're trying to create a buzz. You create a buzz, and more kids want to jump in. Kids are bored right now because they're at home and not doing school and not you know, doing other sports. And I think that's created kind of this false sense of, man, if we don't get commits early, a ton of them, we're going to be left in the dust. I, I, you know, for, for some programs that could be true for Oregon, this becomes a really difficult thing to navigate in the fact that, yes, you would you love to have 15 commits at this point in time? You know, guys that you really want? Of course, no question, no question. The hard part is you really only had one big weekend where you, where you hosted – recruits on campus so you can only get so many of those guys and you've got to start deciding whether you're going to accept commitments from young men that have not visited your campus yet which a lot of that is going on not just Oregon a lot of that is going on nationally in recruiting that's a really dangerous thing to mess with you start getting these recruits that have never visited you you haven't spent much time with in person and you're really running the risk of a, a decommitment later on and it becomes really a, a, just a bit of a domino effect in, in a negative manner. You, you, you know, let's say, for example, you can only take three linebackers in a given year and you lock two up nationally, two guys that aren't in your footprint that haven't ever visited, but they say they want to come. Well, you might risk those guys that are closer to home that you're more likely to sign in the end, but they're going to get scared off because, hey, there's only one more room. You know what? I'm going to go to these other schools and, and look at them a little more because they don't have any linebacker commits. Um, a very delicate balance, but on the same hand, you start telling kids that want to commit, no, you can't commit, no, you can't commit. You're going to push yourself right out of the running there. So, mm-hmm. again, I don't envy coaches. I don't envy Mario Cristobal and his staff for having to navigate that because I know they have a, a pretty steady line of young men that would like to commit to Oregon. Um, you know, Jadarius Perkins seems to be one of those young men that, that was scheduled to commit yesterday or had announced that he would commit yesterday along with Maliki Matavau and, and pushed it off. And I do think some of that was a little bit of pushback from Oregon, maybe trying to buy in a, a little bit more time because you're talking about a, a young man that has never visited. You haven't spent a lot of face time with out of the SEC footprint. Well, if you go take a Juco cornerback at this point in time and we're not even into June, everybody's been under the same pandemic you might risk these California or Arizona DBs that just want to visit first and have the opportunity to do that before committing. You might kind of scare one of them off because you've taken a Juco corner right. and you're, you've only got room for two more. So, um, again, those are just some of the pitfalls and some of the things you've got to navigate. I think Oregon's done a great job because I go look at the commit list now, uh, and I believe at some point 
all of the players other than Bram Walden have visited Oregon at one point or another. So I think that's an important factor there. Bram Walden seemed to be really high on Oregon from the get-go, so I'm not surprised he committed. But he's also from Arizona. So you're talking about a kid still in your footprint. You, you didn't go reach nationally and pull a kid out of Florida and get him to commit early and then run the risk of November. Mom gets cold feet sending her son 3,000 miles away, and you've locked in a spot and missed all these other guys along the way. I think Abraham Walden's a little bit safer given that he hasn't visited, but he's from your footprint. He's from Arizona. He's from Suaro, where you've signed a couple players already. There's a lot of things working in your favor. So you got to take it as a case-by-case basis. I think Oregon's doing a tremendous job of getting some momentum, recruiting guys that have visited, and getting commitments from guys that are more than likely going to be solid. Um, is it perfect? Of course not. This is recruiting, but I think they've managed it as well as you can as you can so far. You bring up a really interesting point about how if you put yourself in the shoes of these kids, you're 17, 18 years old, and you're committing to play Division One college football, you might not have visited the school you're committing to. Do you think that leads to a crazier December, January than normal? I think we are definitely headed for a much crazier November, December, and January than normal. The, the, the number of commitments at this point in time versus last year, just a year ago, uh, it's double. There's double the commits now, and we aren't taking visits. Kids can't take visits. They aren't out watching spring practices. They're not being evaluated uh, you know, at, um, at satellite camps. They're not out here. You know, the seven on seven camps being uh, peer recruited. And that is, you know, obviously having other guys committed to other schools, you know, work on them during the seven on seven camp uh, or tournament. There's all these different things. And for whatever reason, everybody has said, screw it, I'm going to go ahead and commit early. I don't understand the phenomenon. I get the inner workings of it. I do see why it's happening. It still just doesn't make any sense to me. And it certainly leads up to the fact to me personally that. Some of these schools you see in the top five or top 10, you know, a Minnesota or a Tennessee schools like Minnesota's got a bunch of really good commits right now. And it's nothing against PJ Fleck. I think he's a tremendous coach, but they've got some guys that really don't belong on their list. Um, And I think they're pushing a little bit hard for early guys. They're going to see some decommitments. I think a school like Tennessee that's really coming off a tough season. You've got a coach that people are unsure about. And they're, last I checked, number two, number three, something in the country. They, they've had all these commitments. Those guys are all going to end up somewhere else. All you've basically identified, and again, if you're Tennessee, you're right square in the SEC footprint there. All you've done is alerted the other SEC schools who the team to beat is. Mm-hmm. That's all you've done. So now they've got, you know, they're going to go in and dig and get all the ammo and say, why are you going to Tennessee? This is, you know, what they've produced in the NFL at your position or, you know, their position coaches, it's a first year guy. Why are you committing? You know, they're going to come up with all this ammo to work on you for months and months and months. So those are just a couple examples. I mean, the blue bloods like Alabama, uh, you know, Notre Dame, uh, you know, those guys are going to be just fine. They're going to be able to get their early commitments and hang on because that's a different animal for them. Ohio State, Clemson, those guys, uh, you know, schools like, you know, maybe Oregon or even USC, <clears throat> excuse me, and Tennessee and some of these others need to <clears throat> really kind of manage, you know, how they're attacking these things. Because, again, you can do more harm than good by, by, by going and pushing for all these early commitments. Does the Pac-12 have a school like, like like you mentioned Tennessee and Minnesota as 
maybe a little bit of a, a mirage. Does the Pac-12 have a school like that right now? You know, I don't. <clears throat> you know, I don't think so. I, I would. Um, I would say that potentially USC does, but I'm. I'm. It's. It's kind of a twofold there with USC. Uh, a. I'm really not that impressed with their class. You know, their offense overall. They've got some good players. It's not to say that they don't have some good commits. They do. They definitely don't have an elite class, and it's definitely not built on the quality that I think Oregon's is being built on currently. Um, I know they're ranked number six in the country. Um, I know they're leading the Pac-12 right now. It's a good class, but it's definitely not a great class. And the thing about it is, you know, I mean, I've said it many a times, and I will go ahead and say it again. We know that at some point during the season, Clay Helton's going to be on the hot seat. Unless that guy goes out and wins his first six games and goes 6-0, and and don't forget, that includes Alabama in there. He goes 6-0 and or something to that effect and is blowing teams out of the water along the way. That concern about his job is always going to be there. We saw it absolutely kill USC last year. And I think once again, you've got these guys like Quadarius Davis out of Texas committed. I mean, Texas, 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 and Texas A&M are not giving up on that kid. I guarantee it. And all you've done is is really just drawn a big target on your back. Um, you know, you've got Kalen Bullock and Zamarian Gordon, a couple of DBs that are, are high-profile DBs out west that I know several schools would like to have. Um, you've got some good pieces there, but ultimately they're offensive linemen, and you know some of their other players leave a lot to be desired they've got 13 commits currently so their their lofty rankings right now aren't quite built on the quality that Oregon is and they've got a lot of quantity when it comes to commits I think uh, I think they're in a little bit of trouble when it comes to the end of it but we'll see it's weird picture in USC as a paper tiger is that the biggest surprise that you've seen in your career the the change at USC well, let's face it. They were terrible in recruiting last year, and, and I'm, that's not. I mean, that's that's almost like putting lipstick on a pig, right there. They, they were just a, abysmally bad last year in recruiting. So, you have to give Clay Helton some credit. He obviously was made aware, if anything else, that his recruiting was substandard. He went out and hired some coaches, Dante Williams being one of them, away from Oregon that are known recruiters, that are good recruiters. It seems as though he's put some effort and emphasis into his recruiting department by hiring uh, some uh, some photo editors, you know, the, the guys who make the edits. Uh, they hired the LSU video guys to come over and make the hype videos, if you will. Um, you know, it seems as though he's made an effort. So, again, USC is still, and I don't care – I don't care if Clay Helton's there. I don't care what's going on. It's still a school that sells itself. They end up getting guys basically by default because they are USC. Right. They are, in my opinion, USC is a blue blood, and they have the ability to basically almost pick and choose who they want to recruit. They've gotten so far away from that under Clay Helton that I didn't think it would take much to get them back there. But again, do they have a good class? Yes, they have a good class. Do they have a great class? Absolutely not. I think they've got some smoke and mirrors going on currently. Um, and you know, even though they have more commitments than Oregon and they are higher ranked than Oregon, I think the Ducks are on the right track and really being selective about the quality versus just the quantity. Um, it'll be it'll be just. It, I am very intrigued to see 
what happens with Clay Helton at USC this year. And, you know, if they're looking at being one and one or if they're looking at being one and two or whatever the case might be, you know, it, it can get ugly really quickly for them. And it, it's almost it's one of those things that you're almost not going to be able to dig out of the hole. You know, if he ends up going one and two or two and two to start the season for whatever reason, you're going to be so far behind Barrett already that I think even if you won the six next six or seven games, it's not going to be enough to save your job. So, ooh, ooh, uh, you think he lasts the year? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I mean, uh, on one hand, I, I do like some of his d- defensive hires, but on the other hand, you go and look at what the you know two of the coaches came over from Texas. His defensive coordinator came over from Texas, and they were one of the worst defenses in the country. Their pass defense was abysmal, mm-hmm. almost almost as it was worse than Oregon's, and Oregon's wasn't very good, at least in terms of pass defense. So, is that going to be an ongoing issue for them? Is that something that they've learned from and been able to fix? You know, I, I don't know. And, and again, all, do they have some firepower on offense? No question. They've got some great receivers. Um, you know, I know a lot of folks like the offensive coordinator, and he runs a pretty wide-open offense. But let's face it, that spread offense, that, that, uh, that air raid-style offense, isn't one that you traditionally see in the national championship game. And that's ultimately what matters. I think Clay Helton... I think he's got to win the Pac-12, and I'm not just saying the Pac-12 South. I'm saying he needs to win the Pac-12 mm. to keep his job. I think that's the minimum that he has to do to keep his job. If, if he can, if he can go beyond that, he might be safe. If he does anything short of winning the Pac-12 conference, and again, he's got to beat the representative from the North. He's got to be the Pac-12 conference champion. I think anything less than that, and he does risk losing his job. That. That is that is something right there because I I just think uh, even if the Ducks don't get there and we love this Oregon defense but there's some some unknowns on offense I'll put it that way even if the Ducks don't get there I think Cal is going to be really good this year yep. I think that uh, Nick Rolovich is a solid hire for Wazoo I think they're going to be a lot better this next year. I think there's going to be some really good teams. I know Stanford had that exodus, but I still trust David Shaw. Some really oh, yeah. good teams in the North. I would, uh, I'd be stunned if they pulled that off. Well, let's look at this. I just, I didn't know it, so I pulled it up while you and I were sitting here talking. USC's schedule, assuming everything starts normal, whatever. Here's their schedule. Out of the gate, you've got Alabama. L. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, just go ahead and put a loss in there. Your next game is New Mexico. Sure, you're one and one at that point. Your next two games after that are at Stanford and hosting Arizona State. Maybe you win both. Maybe you split. Maybe you lose both. I don't know. Those are those are good. Those are very competitive games. Uh, so let's just call it a split. You're looking at two and two there. Your next two games, you go to Utah and you host Cal. Yeah, those are losses. You're yeah, two I and four it, in the first two yeah, months. I, I think at best you split. At best, I think USC through six games is three and three. Mm-hmm. I'm saying at best. I don't think they're four and two. Right. And that's and that's at best. You could conceivably, I mean, honestly, you could be one and five. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, if Stanford is better off than they look, I think you're one and five. I'm with you. I think at, at the best, best case scenario, and this is all of that hype, all of that hope for all four stars and five stars that do go to USC, um, 
all of those kids pan out all of a sudden and Clay Helton becomes a wonder coach and you get a better performance from your defensive coordinator in LA than you did in Austin. Um, but I doubt it. I, I just I'm I'm extremely doubtful. So I think it's it's amazing to see the change that's unfolded in the last decade in the Pac twelve, but I I don't see that change going away anytime soon. I think the Ducks are still the premier program. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that, you know, whenever we speak positively of, of Oregon, it's us putting on our, our green and yellow Homer glasses. Yes. But you, you just, I, I don't know how you conceive, can conceivably look at the Pac-12 and not see Oregon as the school to beat. Now, do they have some, you know, areas of concern? Do they have some holes? Sure. We, we have to assume that Tyler Shuck is going to be able to get the job. I do believe we will, but it is a question mark. You've got a, 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 an ultimately a, a pretty new offensive line. You've got to trust that they're going to be able, be ready and be able to gel and be able to you know run an offense that's going to be somewhat new with Joe Moorhead being in town. Sure, there's some questions there. I don't, I don't disregard the fact that there are some questions, but I do feel – I do feel if Oregon can navigate the early part of their schedule fairly successfully, and yes, that does even include a loss to Ohio State potentially, which is a no-gimme game, of course. But if they can pull out of that and even look at 3-1, and one, I think we're talking about a team that by game four or five starts hitting its stride because Tyler Shuck will be that much more confident because that offensive line will have live game reps and I do believe that it's a very talented offensive line. It's just a matter of them playing together. I do believe by four, game four or five, if Oregon's able to survive a one-loss Ohio State, they're going to be a team come November, December that you absolutely do not want to play. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think that's been the mantra for a few months now, and we'll just keep banging that drum till the season happens. You might lose to the Buckeyes. Might. Might beat them. Uh, might go, might. might might have a better team than you had last year, but w- I think we can all agree November and December are going to be really good for the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, when you have a defense that's as loaded as Oregon's is, that's probably going to once again also be hitting its stride, putting in some of these new. You know, you you're going to be getting the freshman rust, if you will, off of guys like Noah Sewell uh, and Justin Flo, and getting them you know, more playing time. I just think that, you know, you, again, you're looking at an Oregon team. And then again, that offense, you're going to be talking about a Joel Moorhead offense. It's probably going to be hitting on all cylinders as everybody gets used to his play calling and his style. And uh, yeah, you're looking at a team. I, I think you don't want to play uh, come November or December. All right. Just a couple more things wrapping up with you. How was Memorial day weekend? Oh, oh man. I, I just I could I could go on for a whole hour long pad, podcast about um, my my Memorial Day weekend, which I know I made public with some pictures on Twitter. But just you know, having the opportunity, uh, which I've I've never done with my kids, I've not taken my kids to Lake Shasta and stayed on on a houseboat for a number of days like that. We've gone down for day trips and some of that stuff, but. You know, to do that and, and be able to, to go with some friends and, and really be able to, because I, there was a couple of days where I really didn't have service. I was pretty well disconnected. And just to be able to kind of unplug and not be worried about, because I, I would I would have to say this, if things were normal, and I mean normal in the fact that, you know, uh, uh, 
we would have had spring ball and a spring game and Oregon's out on the road recruiting right now and doing satellite camps. I would have been pretty stressed out, not having service, not being able to keep a beat on where Oregon's at and what they're doing with things a little bit more pulled back. Even still, I know Oregon's getting some commits and we're moving, you know, we're inching closer to normalcy. I didn't really have that big threat in my mind of, you know, Hey, I'm going to miss this or miss this, um, you know, not get this covered. Um, we had content and everything we had, I had my guys were awesome, put out some content to help fill the time, um, and keep everything rolling. But just, it was great, man. The lake was amazing. Um, the weather was 90 degrees plus every day. Wow. Yeah. None of the, none of the kids got severely sunburned. We have some, we do have some tender skin, you know, and that's, that's kind of to be expected from, from, uh, five days down there on the lake. But, uh, you know, had some friends around with a ski boat that we were able to jump on a little bit here and there and paddle boats and paddle boards and floaties. And our, our houseboat had a slide on it. And uh, just, oh, man, it was just, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. That sounds heavenly. It, uh, it was. I, I uh, you know, two years ago, we took all five kids down to L.A. for, I think we were down there for seven or eight days. We drove, but we were gone for seven or eight days. We did LA, we did Disneyland, we did San Diego for a few days. Mm. And, you know, all the kids have talked about that's been their favorite trip. And, you know, on the way back, kind of asked how this one compared. And most of them said it was a tie or it was really close or, you know, so to me, it, it really it makes me feel great to know that the kids enjoyed something. And, and most of them, for most of the time, were also without their phones, which is a big struggle in our household. We've got a few teenagers and, you know, everybody's tuned into screen time. And it was really nice for them to, you know, put their phones down and me not have to yell at them to put their phones down so that I can actually <laughs> talk to them. So, uh, no, it was, it was great. The family time was second to none. And I'm just I'm so thankful that we were able to have that opportunity to do it. Yeah. How about you? Um, you know, it was a pretty quiet weekend for me. Um, watch a lot of cartoons, play a lot of video games, uh, still staying indoors, uh, a lot, but uh, we're trying to change that in the next couple of weeks, get out a little bit more, get a little bit more sunlight, a little bit more fun in my lives now that the weather's warmed up up here. Um, yeah, I just love hearing that, man, because I, I had uh, family, uh, in that area and, and grew up spending a lot of time on Lake Shasta. Uh, really, really great area. Really great way to spend time. Uh, I feel like we we hit every note we could talk about today. Is there anything that I missed that you want to address? Um, you know, just the fact that I, I, you know, I know I said this just a few minutes ago, but we're inching a little bit closer towards that normalcy or what the new normalcy will be. Uh, you know, players are, and and I mean Oregon football players are are starting to return to campus now and taking that first step towards being able to start participating in voluntary workouts. I know nobody can see me because I'm, but I'm using finger quotations when I say voluntary workouts, they are they're hundred percent voluntary, but I think you're going to see nearly all of Oregon's players participating. Um, it's my understanding at this point that Oregon can view those workouts Um uh, virtually, you know, so a video stream or something of that effect, that's how they'll be able to monitor those workouts. Um, it's also my understanding that Oregon, uh, as a university, the, the, the football and the compliance are working today and tomorrow 
to get everything ironed out about what they can and can't do and how they're going to be able to structure it and making sure that they're operating within, you know, the guidelines of the NCAA. So um, that's kind of the next step in our, our return to normalcy, but it certainly seems as though, and I, I love this word that we're trending towards, you know, positive signs of football being played this fall. Um, it's also my understanding that players return to Eugene they have to quarantine themselves for a week. So it's not like they show up and start working out the next day. So I just want to caution fans to use patience. Things are moving the right direction. Give it a week or two, and we, we might even be hearing stuff about workouts and, and players getting out there. And and I can't say this enough, you know, whether they're viewing on Zoom or whatever pathway they're watching the workouts, I guarantee the coaches are going to know minute one who has and hasn't put in the work while they've been away. It's going to be incredibly apparent to all of those coaches, you know, who has taken this seriously and who hasn't. So uh, be excited to get some reports on that and, and relay them all to you guys. All right. Sounds like you got some news in the pipeline and some, some pretty fun duck uh, conversations to have over the next couple of months. That's Justin Hopkins, scoopduck.com, owner, editor, everything. And this is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you can listen to the pod on Scoop Duck. You can listen on your, your smartphone. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere that you want to listen. Uh, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I can do this now.